0: Set the godfather, the legend. All right, enough of that. Welcome to Backtrack's Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette, the godfather of rock and roll podcasting. Joining us, as always, is the sexiest man in rock and roll podcasting, Scott Haskin. How are you doing, Scott?
1: Well, I I don't know if I can compare to that introduction so much that uh, you had. I did a seated standing salute that people couldn't
0: see it was a lot of effort i saw it and i appreciated it thank you very much and joining us of course as always he's everybody's favorite grumpy old troll who lives under the bridge john mariano how you doing john
2: i'm doing much better now that i've seen the tip of of scott's erection i mean i mean obviously uh standing ovation i love doing the show
0: John's always been a big fan of just a tip and you must be a big fan of Aerosmith. If you clicked on this train wreck here tonight, we're the only podcast that is breaking down the entire Aerosmith discography, one random track at a time. We are uh, endeavoring to compile the ultimate Aerosmith mixtape side, a all deep cuts side B all live cuts side C all hits side D. Those are our nasty cuts. Those are the three tracks that we just love and have to put on a mixtape somewhere. Gentlemen, I made a mistake last week, and this is very rare. I never, ever make mistakes, but I'm going to own up to it here tonight. Uh, last week, we rolled The Hand That Feeds uh, from Draw the Line. And um, I, so I said erroneously said that John put that on the dice. He didn't. I actually did. So John oh. went and picked a, a terrible song to put on there, and and it'll stay on there, uh, but I, I just wanted to, to own up to my mistakes. So now there's three John tracks on the dice, only one of mine, and two Scots that are irrelevant because they never roll. Uh, so this is your opportunity to chastise me and make me feel bad uh, for my uh, very rare uh, error. So I, I just want to, I mean, that's fine. It's been great doing the show with
1: you, Corey. Um, we'll miss you. But I'm wondering, it's been picking Mariano's songs like Left and Right for weeks, and now it has three to choose from?
0: I know. I know. doesn't seem fair, right? This This, this game is leveled.
2: And I, I I agree with Scott. This game is fucked, and it's partly your fault, Corey. And I'm protesting. Okay. And my I, I would like to um, submit a formal protest. Okay. Um, I'm gonna slide it over to Corey right now. I think I I think that it might be fair to take one of my songs off the dice, but they'll probably come off as I roll. But I think in fairness, I really shouldn't be punished here. I didn't do anything wrong. That's true. So if we're going to take one of my songs off the dice, we should probably take one of Scott's songs off the mixtape. All
0: right. And what you are you what?
2: thinking? I'm thinking it's fair. It's like a little, you know, you know, Koomsi, Koomsai, you know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Right. So so the Koomsi is we take one of my songs off the dice. Okay. The Koomsai is we, we also
0: remove the movie. From the okay. State. Well, that's interesting. Scott, what do you think?
2: I don't see how that relates in the slightest. Um, Scott, I am at some point going to be punished for something I didn't do. It's only fair that the same happens to you. See, this is why I stopped
1: dating. Because this is the kind of shenanigans that would happen. And, you know, I pay for dinner and then I'm just out 50 bucks. I kind of feel like that here.
0: I tell you you, you, you stop dating because there's not a woman on the planet That's that can I deal feel. with the animal magnetism that is Scott Haskins. We all know this. So we we have a proposal on the table from John that we take one of his songs off the die and we take the movie off. So, you know, fair is fair, right? Is Does that work for you, Scott? I know because
1: I, I labeled it in green. So that means I really like it. And I've got two songs that are yellow on John's list. So, I mean, if anything needs to go. So, so Scott, let me help you out here. It's probably Janie's got a gun.
2: It sounds like like you're upset with me. Oh, no. That shouldn't be be the case. It feels like you're attacking me, but you're trying to take my stuff off the mixtape. And what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to do that to you. I am being punished because Corey screwed up. And you should also be punished because Corey screwed up. So if you should be mad at anybody right now, I want to take anybody, take it out on anybody, take it out on Corey.
1: I guess where I'm lost is what the actual punishment is because Corey said it would stay on there for now.
2: But so eventually really
1: you're you're getting like, you know, you bought a pack of gum and for some reason there's five extra sticks in there. Eventually and you're one, complaining one of, that
2: you have extra gum to chew. Eventually one of my songs comes off the mixtape and I don't get to replace it. That's a punishment. Is it though? Corey, Corey,
0: whose side are you on? I'm not on any side. I'm trying to play devil's advocate.
2: I mean, uh, just, I
1: just because it's devil. going to be walk on water doesn't mean that that's really punishment. I think that's just
2: justice. All right. You know, what? why don't we roll this die-, die so that way we can get to I'm down and then I can have four, you know, four songs in the mixtape. Sure, if, if we
0: roll a Scott, you just pick a song, put it on the die. Yeah. We'll, we'll Is it that.
2: December already? <laughs>
0: You know, what? it might as well be uh, here in Canada. Uh, We're taping this a few weeks ahead, but we just got dumped with two feet of snow uh, last Thursday and Friday. One of the worst winter storms. We set a record, I guess, in in North America for most snow uh, at the end of April. So that's something. Congratulations. No, it fucking sucks. It it was absolutely (laughs) terrible. Uh, But we do have a piece of Aerosmith news. We should maybe chat a little bit. Now, as we record this, nothing is official. But as John pointed out, on the Aerosmith website, there's a countdown clock. And it's currently counting down to about 8 a.m. Eastern time on May 1st. Uh, The big rumor from my sources tells me that uh, Aerosmith, and by Aerosmith I mean probably just Joe Perry and Steven Tyler, are going to be on the uh, Howard Stern Show on Monday, May 1st, and they're going to announce a big 40-plus date North American tour that's probably going to be billed as a farewell tour. So this Mm -hmm. might be our last chance to ever see Aerosmith uh, live and in concert, and it may not even be all of them, because Joe Perry mentioned as he was kind of talking about this that uh, Joey Kramer may not be uh, physically up uh, to performing. He just lost his wife not that long ago. Uh, he didn't take part in the residency. Uh, Joe alluded to the fact that he's just kind of beat up after 50 years of banging the drums around. That if you, if you watch his solos, he during his drum solo, he's hitting the cymbals and in, in the toms with his head. So that might have something to do with it too. I don't know. But here's hoping that Joey can come out at least for part uh, of this uh uh, A Rivadertchi uh, tour that Aerosmith is probably going to be embarking on starting this year.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice if he could at least do maybe the last four or five shows, you know, to jump in for that. Not not to screw over whoever's filling in and and uh, keeping the band going, but uh, it would be nice to end it with uh, you know with as many original
2: people as possible. Mm-hmm. You know what I would like to see on the last date of this tour. Right, Um, Joey shows up. He hasn't played the drums the entire tour. I don't want him to play the drums, though. I want him to... um, WCW once had this character. Um, There was this wrestler. He went under the name Tugboat. He was Dusty Rhodes' um, I believe brother-in-law. And he had been rebranded several times over, and they were trying to rebrand him once again. And they rebranded them as a character called the Shockmaster. And the Shockmaster was a Stormtrooper helmet from Star Wars covered in shimmery glitter. I think you see where I'm going here.
0: You want him to come as the Shockmaster?
2: If he's wearing the shimmery helmet, he can shimmer one more time in front of a crowd.
1: But if he's dressed as a Stormtrooper, he'll never hit anything.
0: Well, and the no, problem I... the problem with the Shockmaster was he was wearing the Stormtrooper helmet and he couldn't see. And he was supposed to, like, he fell through a wall uh, during his intro, and the helmet fell off. So he's on the ground trying to get his literally pink helmet and put it back on his head. And then there was this evil voice, I am the Shockmaster. And it's absolutely hilarious.
2: Be- be- because the other side of that, Scott, is they didn't have enough time to put any microphones inside the helmet. So somebody else is off-camera doing the voice of the Shockmaster but can't see what's happening. And I don't know if you remember the actor Sid Vicious. Yeah. But Sid Sid Vicious is on camera and trying to yell off-camera to tell them what's going on. So that way they could adjust with the voice of, like, why, I just fell down. But he's not. So he's still doing the intro as he hits the ground. Ric Flair, if you ever see the video... Rick Flair is there at the beginning of the interview and then all of a sudden is gone. Like he knew how bad this thing was going to go.
1: <laughs> it reminds me of how bad it was when Kane was the dentist oh, before oh, he became Kane. Isaac Jacob, y- yeah, yeah, yeah. DDS. Isaac,
2: Isaac, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, okay, so if, if Joey can't or isn't interested. Oh my God. <laughs> if if oh, yeah. Joey can't or isn't interested, here's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see him at least come out for the very last show and just hit the virus lap for the beginning of Sweet Emotion and then yeah. walk off the stage.
0: That would work. He's gotta do something though. You see, it's four versus three here. You yeah, the Got British Bulldog Sting, Sid Vicious, Booker T.
3: Oh, here comes the special tag team partner. I want to, Sting. It seems to me if you was as smart as you act like you are.
0: They're always yelling, always yelling.
3: <laughs> the war games tell who
1: your partner is. I like the maid that's just standing there in the background enjoying the argument. <laughs> oh, they're going to
0: introduce the partner. Here we go.
3: Oh,
0: Really? So, so you see Flair there?
2: Yeah. The yeah,
0: he's he's the leaving. He's out of here.
2: He leaves with he <laughs> Rick Flair leaves with the maid. Yeah. It's his own maid. Well, the the, 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 the maid is his eventual wife. They've now been married 30 years. Oh wow. shock
3: the world because shocked the he world. Is none other than the shock! Uh,
1: That's that's (laughs) not just a stormtrooper helmet. That's a bedazzled, silver-painted stormtrooper helmet. And
0: the coat, and then he's wearing jean shorts.
2: Just to tie it all in, Scott. Would you say that's a shimmery helmet? That's a shimmery helmet. Yeah.
1: Wow, Booker T looks so young there.
0: Oh, listen to the voice so you're the man that rules the world they call me the shock master he's got all the glitter on his you chest that fell off <laughs> he doesn't
1: even look like he's talking he's, though he's, not. he's, not. Get ready. he's not. not that's the best part like his chest they isn't even moving saying. like he's talking he's just rubbing his hands
0: me, together because he's not sure what this guy's gonna me. say come after me sid i'm ready oh, along with davy boy oh my god that Well, One of the glorious moments in wrestling history, the Shockmaster.
2: I I have one other glorious moment I need to share with you before we start the show. Okay. Um, Recently, I have been listening to podcasts, and one of the podcasts I've been listening to is is The Blathering over on the Knapsack Network. The Blathering's an off-the-cuff, from-the-hardened-head podcast from comedian and author Ken Knapsack, written, hosted, performed by Ken Knapsack co-creator of four center the knapsack files and pop rocking radio saturday night knapsack is a satirical radio show full of a wide cast of characters segments and more it's a show so real it had to be fake so here's what i want you to do go go, go to your podcast distributor your podcast application whatever you call it the little podcast feed that you have and i want you to go to the knapsack network and if you could leave a rating preferably a five, but let everybody know you're listening and you support him and and and, and you think he's great um, if you can do that and you can subscribe, all that kind of stuff helps our friend Ken. and I'd really appreciate it.
0: There you have it. Uh, Scott, do you have anything you'd like to share with the class?
2: Well, you know, not just
1: not just uh, him, but we have some other friends, too. We have the Sean Geek and Fast Fret podcast. And I'll tell you what, guys, if you go just pull them up on your podcast player and just go through the list of their episodes, I guarantee you're going to find tons of stuff you're going to want to listen to. And also, while you're at it, check out Eric at the Booked on Rock podcast just constantly talking about books and uh, interviewing people about the books that uh, are involved in the music industry. Absolute great stuff. And then there's our ever-growing list of friends at the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Uh, John and Corey, our co-hosts here, do a show called Backtracks Theme Music. Excellent digging into the music and really all about the film that they're talking about. Uh, Corey does another show with uh, Mark Kumeyer called And The Podcast Will Rock, All Things Van Halen. I've got my Uriah Heap, The Magician's Podcast Show. That uh, will go through early June of 2023, and that will pretty much be the end of that. We have the Deep Purple podcast, Skinnerd Reconsidered, T-Bones Prime Cuts on the other side, Riot at Sabbath Bloody podcast, In the Lap of the Pods, All Things Queen. We have the Hawkwind, Hawkbinge uh, podcast. We have Maiden A to Z, Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast universally speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast. And I got to tell you guys, I recorded uh, a show with George and Hattie over at Judas Priestcast on Saturday. I think that'll be coming out sometime in May. Had so much fun hanging out with them. And, of course, we have the North by South podcast, So Far, So Pod, So What, All Things Megadeth, The Tom Petty Project, The Seaside Pod Review, Another Queen Show, and Volume for All, covering all things heavy metal. And, of course, The Rock Roulette podcast, and our short show
0: regarding Lulu. That's right. Uh, There's a show for everybody on the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Please go check us out, uh, deepdivepodcastnetwork.com. There's links to all the shows on there. And uh, uh, like you said, uh, something for every single taste in music. Uh, But if you're here, oh, sorry, go ahead. We need need like a Bengals podcast
1: or something that's uh, a little off the path of what we've got. I think we need to round that out a
0: little bit. Podcast like an Egyptian? There you go. Done. It's already done. The whole show's completed. John is he he disagrees.
2: A hazy shade of podcast.
0: That's not even their song though. They just covered it. I don't care. Manic Pod Day is better. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what the hell is a Pod Day? Doesn't matter. Sounds cool.
2: You know what? I, you know what? I started off like I was going coming in hot uh, on Scott, mm-hmm. but the reality is that you didn't side with me in 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 the um ever-going struggle to get this freaking song off of the mixtape.
0: Where's the mute button? I don't (laughs) like you right now. (laughs) Well, you're going to when I roll one of your uh, songs, because it's time, as my dog barks in the background.
1: 50% chance of getting a Mariano song, which is interesting because last week, even though he only had two, we had a 75% chance of getting a Mariano song for like the last six weeks. (laughs) That's true.
0: Uh, the song's on the mixtape. We have the two Scott Haskins songs, I'm Down and You See Me Crying, both of it on there for, gosh, 20-some episodes now. Uh, then we got the Three Johns, Hole in My Soul, uh, from Little South of Sanity, Out of Your Head, and Light Inside, both from uh, with the Just Push Play. And then I put Jaded on there, also from Just Push Play. So we got a 50% chance uh, of getting a Just Push Play track here tonight. Uh, let's find out what the hell it's going to be. Let's throw it over to Steven Tyler. Of the We're gonna get you see me crying. Whoa. It's a Scott Haskin track, not the one everyone was hoping for. But uh, we're going to Toys in the Attic. Scott, the the dice don't hate you no more, my friend. Against all odds, I have conquered. You you want to give a, a, a small speech before we play the track here tonight? I
1: I just want to bask in the victory for a minute. Um, yeah, this is a this has always a, been a favorite song of mine. Probably one of my favorites on on Toys in the Attic. Um, there's just such emotion. I think it's a such an incredible vocal from Steven. There's some great string builds in it that we'll talk about. Um, it's a beautifully done song.
0: Uh, it really is. And this was a single uh, way back. Uh, it was released in 1975, Remembrance Day, actually, November 11th, 1975, along with the B side, Toys in the Attic. Uh, So it's kind of weird. Toys in the Attic was never an A-side single uh, off of the album of the same name. It's such an iconic song now, but it was the B-side to You See Me Crying.
1: That's so weird. I would have thought it would have been the other way around, to be honest. Um, Toys in the Attic is such a a killer song. It's an excellent song to start the album. It's got all this energy. I would have
0: thought that would have been the single. John, do you have any recollections of You See Me Crying?
2: Yeah, I really dig this song. It's it's on one of the two albums that's got news. And um, I, I actually prefer this over at least one song on the mixtape.
0: Okay. Um, you know, before we play it, uh, I, I really, really want to play my favorite game because I find this very interesting. And we're going to play How Often Did Aerosmith Play You See Me Crying? Remember, this song came out in 1975. So the question is, how many times has Aerosmith played this live? John Mariano, let's start with you. I'm gonna go with uh twenty-five. Twenty-five times. Scott Haskin? I'm going 98. 98. You both went over. Oh, that's a shame. Wow. When when you go over, you gotta hear this song right here. One time. One time. According to Setlist.fm, Aerosmith played Used to be Crying. Oh, we're going to keep playing Prices Right apparently. They played Aerosmith played Used to be Crying one time. Bonus points if you can guess the year. 75? Nope, John? Uh, 78. How about 2009? That is, can it get more random? (laughs) They actually played Toys in the Attic in its entirety on that show.
2: Oh wow! Okay. Oh, well, so
0: that makes sense. And apparently, it was re- at the request of uh, Stephen Tyler's daughter, Liv Tyler.
1: Hmm. Well, who's going to deny her? I mean, she was an elf. She was, uh, you know, um, an Affleck's
2: girlfriend. I, 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 I can tell you somebody who's not going to deny her. Rex Manning. See, and that falls on deaf ears because nobody on this show has seen Empire Records.
1: Nope. That's right. I have With not. RP-
2: but there are people that are listening right now who have who are I've now outed both of you two and shamed you publicly
0: about. There's a mm-hmm. lot of movies I haven't seen. I'm I'm fine with my life choices. What do you say we play a little you see me crying from Toys in the Attic? So you hear it in the background, an orchestra uh, on this song Uh, conducted by Mike Manieri. Uh, This is a a Steven Tyler uh, written song along with Don Solomon. Uh, And uh, uh, apparently the rest of the band wasn't a real fan of it because it was a very complex arrangement with with the piano and the orchestra and everything. So uh, that's the reason that they give that they haven't really played this song live ever.
1: Well, I mean, you could have, uh, yeah, because the keyboard player is going to be playing. Well, who would be playing the piano live? Would it be Steven? That would be Steven, yeah. So you could have the keyboard players supplementing parts. So you don't have to play the exact arrangement that you did but, in the studio.
2: But but Steven plays piano on other songs live, so that's not the yeah. issue.
1: He does Dream On live every yeah. day. Yeah, that's what I mean. So you could have him on piano. You could have the keyboard players supplementing the orchestral parts. Or at least some of it. Um, I think it. I think it's doable live. I don't. I. I
0: there's a lot of parts, but I don't. You know, not play them all. And we, we talked about this uh, on previous shows. You know, play to a track. You, know, you yeah. have the orchestra track playing in the background as long as you're not miming along to it, like John pointed out. If you're not millie vanilling it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just it, it, it's such a beautiful song that it would be nice to have that that uh, that orchestra underneath everything, right?
1: Well, and the other thing that the band might have been unhappy with too is how much of the budget it took to record this song because you have to hire all these other players. You have to hire somebody to print the parts on the sheet music. Then you have to pay somebody to be the copyist and make parts for, make the sheets for everybody. John's waving at me.
2: They're fucking rock stars and they were drugged out of their minds most of the 70s and you think they're doing math? Were they for Toys of the Attic? Toys in the Attic? You think, they, you think they gave a shit about
1: the fucking budget? Yeah, because it comes out of their pocket.
2: Oh, they don't give a shit. They didn't know
1: that probably at the time. That right. might be. Yeah. But see, like for for Uriah Heap, they did a song called Salisbury, which is a 16-minute song, and it's got a, a full string and wind section. And that was a huge part of their their budget, which they didn't realize at the time would come out of their own pockets. They thought, oh, the record company pays for this, and they'll get paid back in sales. Nope, comes out of their their pocket. Uh, so I, I, don't know, maybe I'm just saying it could have been a factor of one of the yeah. reasons they didn't like it. I don't know. I wasn't there.
2: I, 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 think that by the time they knew that that was a problem, they, they were, would have already had several opportunities to play the song.
1: Could be. Yeah.
0: I think remember that this is the, the, you know, mid seventies where bands were giving away their publishing for like an extra line of Coke. Like they didn't realize who was it? Tom Petty said, uh, he didn't. He thought publishing was, you know, reprinting lyrics in songbooks. He didn't realize it was actually the rights to his song. That's why mm-hmm. he fought so hard uh, to to get the rights back uh, yeah. during uh, the whole damn the torpedoes era. So, uh, yeah, what, what John says I think uh, carries a lot of weight. I love these bings. I'm just going to keep. So I, I don't just, know what's causing that. I was going to ask you where that's coming from. Yeah, it, it, it's from the angels. Uh, we're oh. not sure. I Wonder if I can play the song. Let's try it.
1: I really love his vocal there. Like even, even though he's very well known for doing those pitch bends like that, he's got the vibrato in the beginning. Then it goes into that gruff ending. Like that is such a fantastic transition. That's part of what makes me like this song. Like, I really feel like he's feeling everything he's talking about here.
0: Oh, I agree. And that's why I found this next quote uh, or this next story. really kind of, <laughs> kind of funny uh, back in 1984 Uh, during the Back in the Saddle Tour, which is kind of the reunion tour after Joe Perry and Brad Whitford came back in the band, uh, there's a DJ uh, at a radio station uh, interviewing Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, and he started playing this song, You See Me Crying. And Tyler liked the song so much, he suggested Aerosmith uh, record a cover version of it, to which Mm -hmm. Joe Perry had to respond, it's us, fuckhead. But Tyler was (laughs) suffering from memory problems due to heavy drug use. He forgot that was their song.
1: Well, what's even funnier about that is in in my two seasons I'm doing on the uh, The Magician's Podcast, there are two full albums that Uriah Heap re-recorded their own songs with mm-hmm. the the lineups of the band at that time. So that's 39 songs they redid, and here Joe's like, We're not doing this one
0: song (laughs) because it's But but like like you said, the Heap did that. and that's Everybody's doing that nowadays. They're just re-recording old stuff. Uh, Def Leppard did it when they couldn't, you know, they re-recorded a bunch of their hits uh, back when, uh, because they wanted on iTunes when the old record company wouldn't give them access to their catalog for iTunes. Oh, yeah. U2 just did it. Uh, They they decided to record a bunch of shitty covers of their own songs. Like, it's, I I don't know what the hell the appeal is. Like, I'm not going to, if I own... The Joshua Tree. I'm not going to go out and buy this new fucking record with them doing worse versions of those songs.
1: Yeah, I, there's so much that goes into it. It's part the production, which is the, the a good part of the personality of the song, uh, especially now because everything's going to be recorded digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have the performances where the band was at the time. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm in general, I'm not a fan of of that. I think honestly, it's more of a cash grab. Than anything else, it, it I I don't see any other reason for it.
2: Corey, let me ask you a question. Did we do a movie podcast, yes. mm-hmm. okay? And and they got this Flash movie coming out. Yep. And like seventy something year old uh, Michael Keaton's coming back and playing Batman. Mm-hmm. You okay with that?
0: Because he's not redoing the first Batman movie. Yes.
2: Um, did you, have you seen the latest trailer? Because he's saying several lines.
0: No, I haven't seen the latest From, trailer. The one that dropped at so, CinemaCon today, I haven't had a chance. So, yet,
2: no. so, 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 I can tell you right now, two out of his three most in, I- iconic lines, including "You want to get nuts, let's get nuts," are in this trailer, right? And 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 the very famous "I'm Batman." If he turns around and says, "You know, you ever dance with the devil by the pale moonlight?" He'll have the trifecta. And, and 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 I and I'm telling you now, it's the same freaking thing. So if if you're excited about one then you should be excited about both. And if you're not excited about one, I decided today, officially, I am not excited about this anymore.
0: Well, see, I, I never was about, about The Flash, but I'm going to disagree with you because to me, it's more like he's playing the greatest hits uh, on tour than he is re-recording an entire album uh, differently.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, if, if he and Kim Basinger got together and said, hey, let's redo our, uh, our movie yeah. that people really liked and here's the script, I saved yeah. it. And they just went and reshot it with the current technology and whatever. Yeah. But isn't isn't in the Batman series, isn't uh, saying, I'm Batman just like in Star Wars, where every movie has to have somebody saying, I have a bad feeling
2: about this? So let's be clear about this. You think that, keep in mind, before Michael Keaton, the only Batman we really had was Adam West. Yeah. Yeah. Adam West never turned around and said, Missioner, I'm Batman. That was never a thing.
0: He didn't After have Michael to, Keaton, motherfucker. Everyone knew he was Batman. That's right. Right.
2: right. It, Michael Keaton's the one who turned the I'm Batman line into an iconic thing that people okay. have tried to replicate.
1: But on, on the flip side of that, to be fair, in all of the Batman movies that have come since Adam West, we didn't actually have to put Caplamo on the screen to let people know what the sound was that was being played.
2: I, I don't think you understand Adam West hit people so hard. Those words appeared on the screen. It's true.
0: (laughs) He just punched letters out of people. Exactly. You you notice he didn't need, uh, you know, the hard plastic bodysuit with the abs cut into it and shit, right? Like that was pure West.
1: That's true. That that's very true. I think was Affleck was the only other one that didn't need some kind of, uh... Oh
0: no, he had fucking suit enhancements. Absolutely. Oh, Did he? Okay. I still uh, haven't seen that one yet. But he had them. Yeah, he didn't eat them, but he had them. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But uh, and to to John's original point, I remember being on a call with John not that long when the first Flash trailer dropped. And I said, yeah, it looks fine. And everyone gave me shit. This is going to be the greatest fucking movie ever. Michael Keaton's back. Like, yeah, but what's he doing? And now here's John kind of agreeing with me now saying, yeah, he's just doing the same shit. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I thought when I watched the Flash trailer. I thought, oh, this this might be okay. It's nothing earth-shattering. It wasn't my most anticipated movie of this summer. To me, that's still Indiana Jones or Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy 3. I think they're kind of tied right now. Yeah. It's, it's uh, giving me a look like, what? Those two?
1: I, I'm, I'm interested to see Indiana Jones. I'm hoping that they make a comeback from uh, the last one because I didn't really like the last one that much. No one did. But, There's nowhere to go but up. Yeah, but let me ask you, so John, if Aerosmith got back together and re-recorded Toys in the Attic, say all the all the original guys, Joey Kramer's in, they're all clean and sober, would you buy the album? No. I
0: don't think I would either. Yeah,
1: I don't think I would either. I don't think I'd even... I mean, I, I might just listen to it just to hear the sonic quality and what the recording was like, but I don't think I would really invest in any of the songs because this this is what they felt this is what came out anything else t- is just trying to recapture it's not in the moment
2: i will tell you this though if an artist like pink or something decided to to, to put something like that together where she went off and remade t- toys in the attic i might be intrigued
0: well, i would, that yeah, would be absolutely different.
2: yeah yeah we talked about would, that I covers album
0: that the, 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 yeah. and, and there was some good stuff on that but and, and to that point now here's a little different scenario where we have def leopard um they're putting out an album called drastic symphonies which they're they're taking and they're not re-recording tracks as far as i could tell because the first thing they released was a version of animal it's the original 87 vocal tracks to an orchestral uh redoing of of animal and it sounds fucking hideous and like i'm I'm a big def leppard fan but this is the first album i'm not going to go buy because it's Mm -hmm. def leppard in 87 their vocals over top of a of an orchestra doing these songs and it sounds terrible. Is it is it
1: the orchestra just playing along or does the orchestra have its like its own arrangement?
0: I think it's its own arrangement because it's actually considerably slower uh, than the oh. original rock version. Yeah. Yeah I that's
1: Again, that's cash grab. There's no other reason for doing that other than cash grab. I mean, if it's, you're going to do that, do a live tour with an orchestra. It's just it's like-,
0: like when Metallica did it, right? That was something cuz they did it in a live show with an orchestra yeah. on stage with them and, mm-hmm. and and they were playing along with them. This isn't even that. This is we're going to take the vocal tracks from 87 or whatever album they're doing, even Pyromania in 83, and we're going to and we're going to get the Royal Philharmonic to do a uh an arrangement of it and we're just going to put the vocals over top
1: yeah that's that sounds like a record company cash grab idea and the thing is the band might not even be involved in that
0: depending well, sure on sound what like they are. They they're pretty excited music. about it yeah oh, and i don't they? know what kind, yeah oh okay it's all over their website and stuff they they were so happy they, they pumped out animal and i played a little bit of it i'm like this is fucking garbage like if you want to play with an orchestra that's one thing like yeah, metallica's music with the orchestra both sm or snm and snm2 Mm-hmm. I love those records. Like they're absolutely fantastic. But th- to me, this is just lazy. Like if you're yeah. not in a room playing with them, what's the fucking point.
1: Right. Well, there's no, there's no unity either. And you can feel that typically in the music. I saw uh, when Deep Purple was doing their orchestral tour, I saw them here in Vegas. Um, I I came up from Phoenix to see that. And it was amazing, you know, but the parts that they, that they had written for the orchestra were very intelligent. It wasn't just playing along with the guitar or or something. It right. was like, really interesting parts. Um, I did like some of the Metallica stuff. Um, I saw them doing Call of Cthulhu live and I thought it was amazing. Absolutely oh, yeah. amazing. And Master of Puppets. Uh, but yeah, if you're going to do it as a, as a studio thing, that's just somebody
0: at a record company going, I know how we can make some more money. I wonder and, if it's and, someone from the band saying, here's a way we can maybe make or, some more money. Yeah. Cause like uh, Def Leppard was a band I used to like respect a lot. And I have seen them live like three or four times. I went to Vegas and I, I got to meet them. Uh, they're doing mm. uh, "Viva Hysteria." They played Hysteria in its entirety, one nice. of my favorite concert experiences of all time. Yeah. But now they're on the stadium tour. They're playing the tracks, and, and they're just miming it. They're phoning it in. It's like, and now they're they're pumping this out as being a big thing, uh, losing some respect for these boys. The the only thing I could defend. And I could kind of
1: see a little bit of desperation, not just for themselves, but maybe for like their road crew and everybody else is how much money everyone lost in potential income during COVID because no one could tour Mm -hmm. Um, album sales. They don't make that much on those anymore. Um, But Uh, I I have to wonder if maybe that might be part of it, like like some bands like Purple and Uriah Heep were selling T-shirts that all of the proceeds went to their road crew because the bands weren't the only people that were suffering from COVID. Their whole road crew wasn't working either. That's right. You know, and they aren't going into the studio. So now you've got your producers and everybody else who can't work. I mean, it really was a, a very devastating thing for most industries. So if, it, if it's something like we need to do something to make some money back, I kind of at least understand the premise behind it, but I, I, don't, I don't back the idea of it. And whether or not like Def Leppard was involved in the decision, I don't know. But I know with a lot of bands, they don't own the rights to their music.
0: So it, oftentimes these things happen without their consent at all. That's right, and more and more are selling off their catalogs to get that that payment right away, so they could you know mm-hmm. spend it while they're still alive, as opposed to leaving their their heirs uh, vast fortunes. What do you think, John? I,
2: I I think I think it's a bunch of shit. Like if if, if you if, if you want me to buy new music, play new music, and even if you want me to buy old music, play, play it in a new way, mm-hmm. right? Like when Metallica did the S and M thing. I was all over it. I still think it's a fantastic album. It's a, it's, it's a great concert. It's great for what it is. I'm not into this whole remixing, hey, we can overdub over something. I could care less. I could give a rat's ass. Don't do this shit. And if you're going to do this shit, just know I ain't buying it.
0: Amen, brother. We're all in agreement. You know who's I, not doing that right now is Aerosmith. Well, I'll just say,
1: except for Injustice for All, if they did <laughs> A proper mix of that album with maybe some drum
0: replacement, I would, I would buy that in a heartbeat. But that that that's just a remix. Yeah, if they want to add yeah. some new drums to that and uh, fucking Saint Anger, because uh, those drums are the worst sounding drums maybe in recorded history. Yeah, uh, I, I would be okay with that too. To My wife asks me that every night, honey, what you done to your head? <laughs>
3: Can't kind know of what's right. Down.
1: I know this was early on in their career, but you're really seeing all the classic Steven Tyler tricks, right? The, the long pitch bends, the long sustained note. Um, but there's something about his voice. There's like a, a gruffness in his voice that's really coming out in this song that I've always really enjoyed. I, I think, it, it, like I said before, it really makes me feel like he's in a moment here.
0: Yeah, and really this whole album, like when you, when you talk about Toys in the Attic, uh, which was their, their third record. They really had their shit down by this point. Like, they'd obviously been playing together forever. Uh, you know, the first album well, it was kind of hit and miss. We had Steven singing that whole other voice. Uh, Get Your Wings, uh, you know, had some decent stuff on it, but it wasn't a huge hit. Toys in the Attic is really what exploded the band, right? Like, that had yeah. Sweet Emotion and Walk This Way. And You See Me Crying was the third single uh, off this one, uh, to the point where uh, apparently during the recording, um the uh, one of the uh, guys from Columbia Records, uh, the Bruce Lundville, uh, Lundville, the then president of Columbia Records, walked into the recording sessions for Toys uh, when the band were working on this song and remarked, You guys got an incredible thing going here. I just came from a Herbie Hancock session and this is much more fun. Wow. More fun than Herbie Hancock? Like that. That's, that's a compliment right there. No kidding. But I, I agree totally. Like the, the production, of course, Jack, though, this top-notch. Steven sounds yeah. great. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward uh, to some guitar because it's actually Brad Workford playing lead uh, on this, not Joe Perry. Oh, interesting.
2: have a few of those lately.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially lately. we uh, Actually, the last song we did, uh, didn't Brad play lead on that, on The Hand That Feeds? Yeah, because that was the one that Joe didn't even remember recording the song. That's right. <laughs> he wasn't even there. He was just passed <laughs> out in his bed. Yeah, Right.
3: See you.
1: Okay, so i have a question um i've had the lyrics wrong i'm not I'm not much of a lyrics guy anyway but i've had the lyrics wrong for years because i thought it was honey what you done to your hair so i was wrong there <laughs> but the the second line has always confused me i always thought it was weird to say honey was it was the words i said the first two times here on the lyrics they have it was it the words i said but i'm not hearing him say that what I'm hearing him say is honey was the words I said, which is how the lyrics are in the second verse here on the lyrics that we're looking at. What do you guys think it actually
0: is? I I think it's the second, like you said, uh, honey was, was the words that I said is kind of what I heard.
2: I think that the, it is implied. And I think that there's artistic license here.
0: Autistic or artistic. (laughs) Both. (laughs) Okay.
2: fifty one, half a dozen of the other, something like that. Um, 50 uh, um, of one half a dozen of the other <laughs> i can't math
0: um, i hear you it's late in new york i got you
2: um but, but but what i but what i can tell you is i think he's taking a little bit of artistic license but this is you know scott kind of alluded to it this is steven tyler at the height of his powers mm-hmm. right like, like like it's not about enunciating every syllable to, to get to get like the actual meaning of it his word, his feeling, get gets. Huh, huh, honey, it's the word I say, mm-hmm. right? Or how, however he, whatever he's trying to say there, mm-hmm. it's it, it's projected in his vocals, right? That he there's a longing, right? And and, yeah. and th- th- there's not just like um, Corey and I just covered um, a very melancholy song on our other show, and it was melancholy for the sake of being melancholy. It was a smashing pumping song. I'm, I'm not a fan. Corey um, was not a fan of the song. I'm just not a fan of the pumpkins in general, mm-hmm. um, but it, we we covered it. But this is a song that projects a melancholy feeling without being like super depressing to listen to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he, he, feel, he's longing from someone, right? Like, uh, I'm back, I'm yeah. lost and found, don't let it get you down. Say you're a lady's man, I'm so hard to understand. Like, the, the, there, There's real longing, uh, not only in his delivery, but in the lyrics as well.
1: And I'm wondering if there's a little bit of guilt in there. Like, what have you done to your head? Is it because of something I did? Like, I, I wonder if there isn't maybe a little bit of uh, taking responsibility in this too. Right, yeah. But I'll say from a production standpoint, I would not change a damn thing on the song. This is so perfectly mixed and balanced. Uh, kudos to the engineer who mixed this album.
0: Yeah. And, and and lyrically, this is on the same album that features a song where the lyrics are, you ain't seen nothing till you're down on the muffin. That, that kind of shows you the range uh, of one Steven Tyler as a lyricist. And big 10-inch record. That's right.
2: Another song we listened to recently, um, off of one of the more recent albums, where Stephen tries to achieve what he's doing here, and it was so grating on that song, he no longer has that range. Mm-hmm. But here, what what if he tried to do this now? One of the reasons why they probably don't perform the song is that this is exceptionally difficult. Like w- what he's hitting here, yeah, and, and and the way he's hitting it to not make the arms and your you know the hairs on your arm stand up in a bad way right like it's almost like now it could be nails on a chalkboard and he doesn't quite get to that level and 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 musically there is something there that really adds to the pain and agony of this song um I, i don't know if you guys are feeling that too but that's where i'm at
0: oh 100 actually i'm reading a couple of reviews here and uh cashbox uh, it's called this quote, a rock ballad shirt to raise nodules on your turntable. Uh, that, wow. that, that's kind of what you're describing, John. Yeah, I agree hundred percent.
1: Yeah. The only thing that kind of lets me down uh, on this song, to be honest, is the this last verse that we just heard, because it sounds like he's saying, yeah, whatever's wrong, let me just fuck you and it'll all be okay.
0: Yeah. Let me take you to town. I'll show you everything that I know. And I'll never let you go. Cause my love is yeah. like a merry-go-round. Yeah.
1: But I love the way that this verse comes in because the, the the way that the drums drop out and then it comes in with the drum fill after he starts singing as opposed to the drum fill leading into it uh, is really nice. And then the music behind the music that's backing him is just as emotional with the strings as as the actual lyrics and, and the performance of the lyrics are. Uh, this This song is just such a hit for me.
0: think of the uh, guitar work there from Mr. Brad Whitford John
2: I, I I think it's some of that that solo is one of my favorite solos Aerosmith puts out and it's not a Joe solo and that doesn't I think it's, for me it's not about Joe versus Brad right it's just like if you rate the solos of Aerosmith I will put this up against any of the solos and any of the other songs I think it, it. I think it performs favorably, or at least it's in the conversation. With, I think that speaks to how, um, how great this song is. That we 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 have a. This doesn't seem like it's a song that would have a guitar solo to it, right? Yeah. Like it's a it's a ballad, and and um not only does it have one, it has one that kind of steals the show a little bit, and I don't know that I need the orchestra in this song. Like it's there, but if this were performed live, I wouldn't miss it.
1: Yeah, I think you could do the song without it and and be just fine. Um, I do like the strings in in the first half of the solo, just that da 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 just kind of filling in a little bit. I feel like this is really a two section solo. The first section I feel was almost spontaneous, and the second section very obviously charted out because it matches the strings and and the progression of the strings. Uh, but it, it's played with such great feeling and it it just it draws me in every time I hear it. And I've heard this song. I This is probably my most listened to Aerosmith song and maybe in like my top 30 most listened to songs, period. And even now, as I'm hearing the solo again, it just pulls me right in.
0: I always love that moment. Sorry to bust him, but just uh, the everything's coming down. Steve goes, ah, and then the piano kicks in again. Perfection. That is really nice. And, and to John's point from earlier,
1: I, I didn't think about this before, but you would kind of have would have expected that it would have been a piano solo. We would have gotten instead of a guitar solo mm-hmm. just because the piano is the lead instrument on the song. Uh, I really do like that switch.
0: That's "You See Me Crying," the album closer from the legendary uh, album "Toys in the Attic." What do we think about that as the album closer? Uh, you know, this is an album that features, of course, "Toys in the Attic," uh, "Walk This Way," "Big Ten Inch Record," "Sweet Emotion," "No More," "No More," "Round and Round," and then the final track on side two is "You See Me Crying."
1: I always look at an album as if you if you play it from start to finish and then put the album back on, does it loop well? And I think that this is a song that really has a finality to it. It, It's a great album ender. And then if you go back into toys in the attic, so you're, you're kind of letting all the emotion out in this song and it just frees you up to start into another rock song. So if this were just an album track somewhere in the middle, I would have expected another up-tempo song to follow it. So going into toys in the
0: attic from this, at the start of the album, I think works great. Never thought of it that way. John Mariano, uh, your final thoughts on uh, on You See Me Crying?
2: I don't know if they're my final thoughts, but they are some of my thoughts. Um, in all seriousness, we're kicking something off the mixtape tonight. I don't know what side we're kicking something off of, but we are kicking something off the mixtape.
0: Well, this was a single. Even though it didn't chart, it was released as a single in 1975, which means You See Me Crying would get a spot potentially on the all-time Aerosmith top nine which currently includes Let the Music Do the Talking, Chip Away the Stone, The Other Side, My Fist, Your Face, Crazy, Eat the Rich, Mama Kin, Shut Up and Dance, and Deuces Are Wild. You know what? I'm going to start because I never start. And I'm going to vote that I I believe You See Me Crying deserves a spot on the all-time Aerosmith top nine, and I would recommend My Fist, Your Face be replaced with You See Me Crying. Scott Haskin, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I could second that. Um, I I like my fist your face. I think it's a really good song, but this one, I mean, like I said, it's it's one of my most listened to songs. Period. And uh, yeah, I, I I would, it wouldn't be hard to convince me of any of these songs to kick off the tape. I I'll, I like my
0: fist your face, but so long. All right, John.
2: You know what my favorite play in baseball is.
0: I don't know bunt.
2: Oh, no, the triple play. Okay. So 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 you got the first out, Scott's got the second out, and here I am coming around and I get the third out, and we're all in agreement. My fist, your face is out.
0: And like Scott <laughs> said, not not a bad track. Uh, I I really dug that one. I know. Uh, uh when I when I teased the episode, I, I kind of put a tweet out there. You know, who's ready for some uh, done with mirrors? And a couple of people are like, no. One guy went, man, <laughs> so they're, they're, it, it's not their most uh, well-liked album, even though I'm a fan of it. Uh, but uh, I, I dug that track and I'm glad it was on there, but it didn't last very long. Uh, you See Me Crying, I think, absolutely. Deserves a spot on the all-time Aerosmith top nine. So we're all in agreement. You See Me Crying takes his rightful spot among the top nine, at least for the time being. But Scott Haskin, this is a rare position for you, my friend. You get to replace the song on the mixtape for like the first time ever. Yeah. You, see me, yeah, you see me crying is gone. What are you thinking that you want to replace it with?
1: Well, I know what John Mariano was expecting. I see the half grin on his face right now, just predicting whether I'm going to pick another permanent vacation or another Toys in the Attic song. And just because of what he did to me last week and tried to do to me yet again on this episode, I'm just going to blow his mind. I'm going to pick Don't Get Mad, Get Even from Pump.
0: Ooh,
2: interesting!
1: I think that's the most appropriate
2: song I could pick.
0: I tell you, a deeper cut off pun, but uh, I'm not mad at it, John. What do you think of that selection?
2: I think I think it's fine. I think I, I think we totally glossed over part of the show, but um, I think it's a good selection.
0: What do you mean we totally glossed over part of the show?
2: Oh well, because while we might have removed the song from. Side of the mixtape, we never gave it the opportunity to live on I as guess... we do with so many
0: other songs, specifically one particular one I'm thinking of right now. You're, you're right, 100%. I completely screwed up. My fist, your face. It's a double elimination tournament here, folks. It's got the opportunity to live on on somebody's nasty cuts. Let's remind you all what those selections are John's three cuts are Walk on Water, Cheesecake, and Bright Light Fright. Scott has the movie Nobody's Fault, and Hangman Jury. I have falling in love is hard on the knees. JD's got a gun and you gotta move. Uh, John, since you put it on my error once again, uh, what are you thinking?
2: I'm thinking like if you want to nominate it for one of Scott's songs, specifically one that might relate to one of our podcasts, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But I'm not removing it for one of my songs.
0: Okay, so you're suggesting we put my fist your face in in place of the movie. Oh, and oh,
2: Scott- oh, oh! That's a great suggestion, Corey. We should do that.
0: <laughs> Okay. Uh, Scott, what do you think?
1: I remember when John was a co-host on the show. Um, It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, No, I I think it's good. I think the three selections I've got, I'll keep. But uh, I want to point out as a side note of interest to you, Corey, uh, I had marked Janie's Got a Gun in red because I hated that song. Right. And uh, after our episode on it last time, you convinced me to move it up to orange. So what does orange mean? So orange is I don't hate it and I don't love it, as opposed to I hate it, which is what red meant. Oh, okay. As as you can imagine, I might have a song like Sheila in red. You really got something against Sheila. Did did you used to date a
0: Sheila that that wronged you in some way?
1: No, not at all. I just hate that song. It's hideous. Uh, But I have bumped up Janie's Got a Gun. Well, that's good to know.
0: Uh, John, so Scott doesn't want to replace any of his ch- cuts. Uh, I don't get it either. Uh, But you have three that you can replace with My Fish, Your Face. What are you thinking?
2: I'm, I'm thinking My Fish, Your Face is my least favorite movie I've seen.
0: <laughs> I know, but technically uh we, we can't take one of Scott's choices off of Scott's Nasty Cuts because we're Wait, not but,
2: Scott. But, but what happened to the rule we established at the top of the show where like one of my songs has to come off The mixtape at some point, and I don't get to replace it, and Scott gets to replace him. We have to replace the movie for Scott as a punishment. I
1: I remember that was suggested. I don't think that bill was actually ratified.
0: Corey, do we have a quorum? Even I don't know what what is the voting procedure uh, uh, for Backtracks, Aerosmith revisited. What's in the bylaws?
2: It's a point of parliamentary procedure. We have to check check with the listeners, and they should vote. Okay.
0: So, uh, anybody listening to this, please reach out uh, on our social media channels. Won't be Facebook because we're blocked on Facebook for some reason. Uh, Scott tried valiantly to get us a a Facebook page, it didn't work. Uh, But we are on on, on the. There's an aftermath to that, which
1: is even though they wouldn't allow the page, they have changed the name of my homepage to Scott Haskin Aerosmith or Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. Really? They wouldn't give me the page, but they've changed my homepage to that. So when I tell people what
0: my Facebook page is, that's how it comes up. That makes no sense. Nope. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So please reach out to Scott on on Facebook. Uh, Call him at home. Uh, Look up his number. He lives in Las Vegas. Uh, He'll answer day or night, 24 hours a day. Uh, He loves answering Facebook messages. And just let him know. uh, know, uh, Apparently, uh, in our bylaws, we go to a, a public vote. On, on whenever a new bylaws enacted, I'm not sure how this works. I, w- I missed a couple of meetings. Uh, John usually chairs those. So uh, I, I'm kind of lost when it comes to the parliamentary procedure of the show. In Corey's defense, the roads were very bad in, in Saskatchewan that day. Oh, you have no no idea. Like we were literally storm stayed for three days. We didn't leave the house. Wow. I don't All leave right. the house for three days, but that's voluntary understood if I lived in Vegas I'd probably do that too but yeah. uh, maybe we should put a ball in this one since John's not getting the movie replaced uh, this week uh, John what do you got to promote uh, what do you got coming up and where can the folks find you
2: oh you can find me on a little show called uh, backdrops theme music where um, we discuss more much more enjoyable movies than we do on the show
0: ouch Scott Haskin where can the fine folks find you <laughs> I, I have to I have to give
1: props to John for his very inventive ways of taking digs at one of my favorite Aerosmith songs. Uh, Well, you guys can find me on www.scotthaskin.com. By the time this airs, I should have two more books on Amazon to enjoy.
0: Just in in a week, he he writes two more books. Like you're, you're making us look bad here, buddy. Um,
1: Well, the challenge was actually learning how to do the covers myself instead of hiring out this time that took a day and a half to, uh, to just figure out the, the,
0: everything involved with that. It was a challenge, but now I know how to do it. Well, I got to tell you, we have a graphic artist on this call who I'm, I'm sure could have helped you with, with some cover art for your book. It, it might have had the words of the movie with a red line through it, but <laughs> it, it would have been something.
1: It, it wasn't the cover art that was the challenge. It was learning how to do the text placement and the sizing and, and everything to get it within the. the. Because when, when you do a book uh, that's going to be in physical print, the spine is going to be based on the number of pages. So every template is individual to that book based on the number of pages and figuring out how to do like the, the vertical but sideways written text for the side of the book, the spine, and then, you know, the placement and sizing for everything else, how to do the colors over the picture. It was, it was a lot of fun, but really challenging and screw ever having to learn anything ever again.
0: Can, can you tell us any more about this book? I'm assuming there's going to be a, hero, a heroic uh, prince-like character named uh, Corey uh, fighting some sort of evil uh, troll dragon named uh, uh, Bariano or, or something like that. Is, is that
1: accurate? <laughs> Trolliano? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's actually uh, the, the first book is called, uh, I, I don't know what the final title was. I think it was hashtag inspiration, hashtag cloud porn for creatives and non-creatives, which is 55 cloud pictures that I've taken with inspirational or uh, motivating phrases, whether you're a creative. uh, Some are project-related and some are not. And then the other book is uh, sarcasm or hashtag sarcasm, hashtag cloud cloud porn. And it is storm pictures or dark cloud pictures with uh, sarcastic
0: phrases, probably inspired by John Mariano. Well, that, I was just going to say, this sounds very John-esque. How many did you steal from John? And do you have a lawyer? Because if John reads any of those quotes and they come from him, expect litigation.
1: You know, what's, what, what's funny is I actually just went through my Facebook feed and uh, a conversation log I have with a friend of mine who's another author. And I had so many things that fit the book that I said just in those locations that actually is the entire book.
2: And, and and just to be clear, there would be no litigation, Gory. Um, it'd be an open and shut case, and there'd be a settlement, and the settlement would be we'd get this fucking song off the mixtape.
0: <laughs> I love that off, that would be on, your only term. <laughs> you can take walk on water off anytime you like. <laughs> All right, well, join us next week when, when the uh, raging war between Scott Haskett and John Mariano continues over the movie. Uh, but until then... On behalf of Scott and John, my name is Corey. Thank you very much for joining us this week on Backtrack's Aerosmith Revisited. And as always, let's give the final word to Scott Haskin. Thank you. (laughs)